Good morning, everybody. Great to see all of you here today. And I am glad to be back at Plum Creek after being gone last week. And I really appreciate Jimmy stepping in and bringing a strong message last Sunday. I also appreciate Jimmy and the Next Gen team pulling this Baby D event together. And for those of you who have dedicated a child this weekend, I just want to encourage you. You have taken a great step here. Parenting is a tough, tough job. And we are with you as a church. We will continue to pray for you. We will cheer you on as you move ahead on this wild journey. Uh, Plum Creek really does have a heart for the next generation. And that's why we want to do everything we can to partner with parents and build stronger families. And that's why we're taking up this special offering right now. This is our kingdom challenge for this month. Uh, we're collecting an offering to support the work of the New Hope Center. And some of you know that New Hope is a ministry that reaches out to young women who are facing an unplanned pregnancy. Uh, they provide lots of free resources like ultrasounds, baby supplies, uh, all kinds of helpful things. And really, they're just sharing the love of Christ with moms and dads and babies, both born and unborn. So uh, we want to support this ministry. And for the last two weeks, uh, we've been collecting change and uh, cash and checks and putting them in these baby bottles. And then the plan was to bring those baby bottles back today and drop them in the crib out in the gathering area. And for those of you who have participated, uh, we really appreciate that. Uh, later this week, we'll hand those bottles off to New Hope. They're going to count up all the money. I'm glad I'm not counting those pennies. They'll take care of that. But if you haven't been in on this and you'd like to participate, you can still give online this week. You can go to their website, givingforhope.com, and then at the top of the homepage, click Ways to Give. Uh, once you're there, click Donate. That'll bring up a form. And make sure at the bottom of that form, there's a box where you can specify Plum Creek offering. And that'll include you in the total. And it'll be a couple weeks before I can give you the final result. But I'm excited to see what happens because I know that God does amazing things when we choose to be generous. All right. Well, it's time to get back to God's kingdom story. And I have to say, we're going to have some fun here this morning. Now, if you haven't been around for this series, we're taking several months to go through the big story of the Bible, from creation to Christ. And we have three goals here. We want to first know God's kingdom story, and then we also want to live it out, and we want to share it with as many people as possible. We're in week seven of this series, and we've already covered a lot of ground. In the first week, we talked about the most holy God, this God whose greatness is beyond our comprehension. He's beyond our imagination. And from there, we covered creation, the fall, Noah and the big flood, the scattering of humanity that happened after the Tower of Babel. And then last week, Jimmy talked about Abraham and the special blessing that God received, or that Abraham received from God. And that brings us to this morning. Today, we're talking about God's commandments, specifically the Ten Commandments. And you know, you don't have to be a church person to know about the Ten Commandments. Now, these are the most famous, most quoted laws in the history of the world. 
And I don't want to waste any time here, so let's jump right in. In the Bible, you can find the Ten Commandments sort of at the beginning, right after the book of Genesis, second book of the Bible, Exodus. Exodus chapter 20, that's where we see them. And and we'll just start by looking at the list. I've got a, a summary here, kind of a paraphrase. So these are the commands that God gave Moses for his people. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make any idol to worship. Number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Number four, you shall remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And let's pause right here for a second because there is a common theme with these first four commandments. These are all about our vertical relationship between us and God. And then commandments five through ten are about the horizontal relationships we have with each other. Number five says, honor your father and mother. Number six, you shall not murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not lie. And number 10, you shall not covet or want something that someone else has. So there you go, 10 commandments. It's a pretty daunting list. And uh, if you're like me, it's, it's hard enough to even remember all of these commands, much less obey them all. But I want to help you out here this morning. Years and years ago, back when I was in children's ministry, I wanted my church kids to know the Ten Commandments, memorize them. So I took a a familiar song from an old movie, and I rewrote the words. And it seemed like this song was helpful, so I wanted to share it with you today. So let me just grab my guitar here. Children's ministry was, was fun. You could do all kinds of crazy stuff. And uh, I, like to, uh, I like to teach with songs. So hopefully, if you don't know the Ten Commandments, this song will be helpful for you too. My name to curse. Sabbath day is not for work. Honor both your dad and mom. There are five more laws to come. Um, um, um. Never kill your friend or foe with a staff or spear or knife. Don't commit. Adultery, love your spouse for all your life. You shall never be a thief. Do not lie, it gives me grief. Don't be wanting other stuff. What I give you is enough. So that's how it goes. And for some reason, Oh, you don't have to do that. <laughs> For some reason, I feel like it would 
be good to have some kids up here singing with me. It's just that kind of song, right? So do we have some kids back there? Let's bring them out. It's like a back-end children's ministry. This is fun. You guys ready to sing? I think they know this song. Let's try it. One, two, ready, sing. Of all the footballs, guys, in the place where I should be. Dad and Mom, there are five more loves to come. Um, 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 never kill a friend or foe. A staff or spear or knife. Don't commit adultery. Love your spouse for all your life. You shall never be a thief. Why it gives me grief. Don't be wanting other stuff. What I give you is enough. I think there's only one way to make this song better. You know what it is? We need you guys to sing with us. I think this is gonna this is gonna bring it home. And this will help you learn them. Ready? I want you to sing louder than the kids. Here we go. One, two, three, four. Of all the footballs in the place where I should be. Never worship golden cows. I call that idolatry. Please don't use my name to curse. Sabbath day is not for work. Both your dad and mom. There are five more laws to come. Um, um, um. Well, I really appreciate the kids helping me out here and those musicians, and uh, it's a lot more fun when I'm not singing by myself. That's good. Uh, but I do think it's important for us to know the Ten Commandments. I, I think it's important to memorize them. And I know some people would say, why? Why, why would those old laws still matter today? And that's the question we want to answer this morning. 
And to answer that question, we need to start by looking at where we are in God's kingdom story. Now, like I said a minute ago, last Sunday, Jimmy talked about Abraham and the blessing that God gave Abraham. Let's go back and look at that. In Genesis chapter 12, God went to Abraham and he said, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So what is God doing here? Well, starting right here with Abraham, God sets aside a special people, a chosen nation, a nation that will, become, that will come to be known as Israel. God has a long-term plan here. Centuries down the road, God will send the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And this Jesus, this Messiah, he would be a descendant of Abraham. He would be born into that line of God's chosen people. So in that way, all peoples on earth would be blessed through Abraham. This was a promise that God made. You could also call it a covenant agreement. So God would establish this nation and bless these people so that they could become a blessing to the world. Now, we need to see how this went down. First, Father Abraham was the great patriarch of God's chosen people. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. And then Jacob had a bunch of kids, 12 sons and one girl that we know of. And Jacob's favorite son was a golden boy named Joseph. Now, Joseph being the favorite, that wasn't popular with the other brothers, so they sold him into slavery. Pretty extreme, but that's what they did. Now, that event was very important in the history of God's chosen people. Jacob lived in the land of Canaan, but when Joseph was sold into slavery, he was taken down to Egypt. And once he was down there, God blessed Joseph in a big way, and eventually Joseph became second in command in all of Egypt. Only Pharaoh was more powerful. Now, over time... Uh, Things changed and the world got hit with a massive famine. And Joseph was in a position to help all these other countries and provide food for them because he prepared for that. And guess who got hungry and came down to Egypt? Jacob and his whole family came down there. And then they stayed. They settled in Egypt and Jacob's descendants multiplied and multiplied and they became a great people. Now, Unfortunately, uh, that didn't turn out well because the Egyptians were threatened by these Israelites. Uh, that's, that's what we're calling them now. We're calling them Israel. That's another name for Jacob, and that becomes the name for the nation. But, God, uh, but Pharaoh, who is threatened by the Israelites, he makes all of them slaves. And so God's chosen people, they're oppressed and abused every single day. So eventually, God sends a deliverer, a man named Moses. And Moses goes up to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, yeah, I don't think so. But God doesn't take no for an answer. God sent 10 
plagues to change Pharaoh's mind, and the last plague was the worst. God sent the death angel to kill the firstborn son in every Egyptian household, except for those families that followed his instructions. God's instructions were to cover the doorpost of their home with the blood of an innocent lamb. And then the death angel passed over those homes that were covered by the blood. That's where we get the name Passover. But for Pharaoh, once his son died, he was broken. And and he said to the Israelites, just go, leave. And the Israelites left Egypt. And they made pretty good progress until they encountered this major obstacle, the Red Sea. And that was a huge problem because Pharaoh changed his mind. He decided he made a mistake when he let those people go. So he gathered the whole Egyptian army and he chased after them. So now the Israelites are trapped. They've got the Red Sea in front of them. The Egyptian army is behind them and they're closing in fast. But God performs another miracle. He parts the Red Sea and the Israelites walk through on dry ground to the other side. And when they get to the other side, those waters crash down on those Egyptians and the whole army is drowned. So now they're free. From there, the Israelites, they traveled across the desert and God provided everything that they needed. He provided food, manna, quail. He he gave them water from a rock. He he, uh, gave them uh, guidance, directions. A cloud guided them by day and a pillar of fire guided them by night. So three months went by in the desert and finally the Israelites made it to Mount Sinai. At this point, Egypt was a long way in the rearview mirror. And you might think this would be a good place to end this story, end this part of the Bible. But this is not the end. You might say, well, God's people are free. Pharaoh lost, God won, but the story's not over yet. As the people approach Mount Sinai, God wants to establish another covenant agreement between himself and Israel. God wants to dwell with his people, but first, he needs to set up some ground rules. God said, you saw what I did in Egypt. I carried you to freedom. And now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. God is like, you are my people. I love you. I want to be with you. But this world is my house. And when you live in my house, you need to live by my rules. You know what's coming, right? This is where God gives Israel the Ten Commandments. Now, Moses is still the leader here, and God tells Moses to hike up to the top of Mount Sinai. And it's on the top of that mountain that God gives Moses these laws. God himself inscribes the Ten Commandments onto tablets of stone, and he expects the Israelites to follow those commands. And it's kind of funny. The people of Israel talked a good game. Before, before those tablets even made it down the mountain, they were saying things like this. They said, we will do everything the Lord has said. 
So yeah, they're very optimistic here, but that prediction is way off. Before Moses even gets back down to the camp, the the Israelites have broken commandment number one and commandment number two. They melt down a bunch of gold and they make an idol, a golden calf. And then they worship this golden calf and, and they have a wild party where they get drunk and act like a bunch of idiots. And this is actually a pattern that we see throughout the history of Israel. God gives his people instructions, and then they immediately do the opposite of what God told them to do. Time and time again, God's chosen people disobey him. They reject his authority. And that leads us to a very important question. What's the point of the Ten Commandments? Because God already knew what people are like. He'd he'd seen it for hundreds and hundreds of years already. God knows that people in general do a terrible job of following his rules. So why give them those rules in the first place? What is the point? Why are the Ten Commandments in the Bible? What does God want to accomplish here? Well, there are several different opinions about this. Some people think the Ten Commandments are kind of like an entrance exam to get into heaven. If you do well enough, then God will let you in. But if you get a failing grade on the obedience test, then sorry, you got to go down to the other place. Some people think that's, that's the point. You try to be a good person, that's how you get to heaven. Unfortunately, though, there's a serious problem with that mindset. If this life is one big morality test, nobody's going to pass. A grand total of zero people would make it to heaven. So we're back to square one. What is the point of the Ten Commandments? Well, there's a lot we could say here, but I'll give you just two answers to that question based on what we see in Scripture. First, the Ten Commandments reveal God's standard of right and wrong. They actually tell us something about God himself. They they tell us that he is the one true God. He deserves all of our worship and all of our devotion. They also tell us that God is a God of love. We don't always think about it this way. But do you see God's love In these Ten Commandments, he wants what's best for us. So think about it. Because of God's perfect love for you, he doesn't want anyone to lie to you or steal from you or cheat on you or murder you. It's not just about telling us what to do. God wants what's best for us. That's part of the reason why he wants us to obey his commands. He wants us to flourish in life. We're actually far more blessed when we do things God's way. But whenever we try to take control and play by our own rules instead of by his rules, man, we make a mess of our own lives. We make a mess of other people's lives. That happens every single time. But if you want to thrive and flourish and be blessed, your best bet is to surrender to God's standard. So that's one purpose of the Ten Commandments. They reveal God's standard of right and wrong. But there's another purpose 
that may be even more important. The Ten Commandments also reveal our need for God. Sometimes we think too highly of ourselves. Sometimes you might feel like you're a pretty good person, especially compared to some other people you know. Sometimes you might feel like you actually deserve a passing grade on the big morality test. And I don't want to disappoint you, but it's just not the case. I want to try something here. Let's take a a second to be very honest with ourselves. When it comes to obeying the Ten Commandments, what kind of grade do we really deserve? How are we really doing here? First, look at commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me. So, do you always put God first? Do you never allow anything else to come between you and God? You know, in our lives, all kinds of things can become idols. Cars, kids, money, stuff, a husband, a wife, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, power, pleasure, success, comfort. Man, if... If our devotion to any one of those things exceeds our devotion to God, then that thing or that person has become an idol. So do you have any idols in your life right now? Or have you ever had any idols in your life? If so, you've broken the first commandment. Well, let's skip down to commandment number eight. You shall not steal. Have you ever stolen anything? A coin from your mom's purse? Maybe a towel from a hotel? Or uh, an answer off a test? Or have you ever downloaded a song or a movie that you didn't pay for? Okay, we should probably move on. Uh, let's, Let's think about number nine. You shall not lie. Have you ever told a lie to get out of a sticky situation? Have you ever given someone a false compliment? Or have you ever been on a website and you check that box that says, I have read all the terms and conditions, (laughs) when you actually haven't read maybe any of the terms and conditions? I'm going to come clean right now and say, I have checked that box when I should not have. The sad truth is, I do not score well on the Ten Commandments aptitude test, and neither do you. If I haven't convinced you yet, look at commandment number six. You shall not murder. That one should be a gimme, right? For the vast, vast majority of us. Well, Jesus says, no, this one's not a gimme. In Matthew 5, 21, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And saying Raka is kind of like calling someone an idiot. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Wow. It's a pretty tough standard. And then just a few verses later, Jesus says this. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you 
that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See what I mean? According to Jesus, the Ten Commandments are are not just about your external behavior. They also apply to the internal condition of your heart. And man, if if we're being judged on our internal thoughts, that's a ridiculously high difficulty level. Our situation is kind of hopeless. It's kind of like trying to play a perfect round of golf. What what would the perfect round of golf be? Do you know what's the world record for the best official score of a round of golf ever played? In May of 2012, a guy named Rian Gibson shot a 55. That was 12 birdies and two eagles on a par 71. It's very impressive. But a perfect game would be what? perfect game would be a hole-in-one every single time. That means you're shooting an 18, which makes a 55 look pretty bad. I think we can all agree that 18 is never, ever going to happen. But I would still say a perfect round of golf is more likely than a perfect score on the Ten Commandments. So why would God put us in this position? It's kind of impossible, isn't it? Well, it goes back to what I said earlier. The Ten Commandments reveal our need for God. The Apostle Paul says this very clearly in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Paul says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. That's what we just said. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. What does that mean? A preacher named Gene Apple compared the law of Moses to a mirror. Now, what's the purpose of a mirror? A mirror shows us what we look like, doesn't it? So when you get up in the morning and you crawl out of bed and you walk over to your mirror, what do you see? If you're like me, it's not very pretty. You might see puffy eyes, hair sticking out in crazy directions, a scruffy beard. Maybe you see a face with no makeup on and you don't like that. Well, we don't start the day looking our best. So how do we address these issues? We pick up a razor, we grab a comb, you put on makeup. But you know what we don't do? We don't use the mirror itself to comb our hair or shave our face or apply makeup. That's not the purpose of a mirror, is it? A mirror just shows us what we look like. And that's a lot like the law of Moses. The law shows us that human beings don't have the ability to reach God's perfect standard. And that's bad news. Because a holy and perfect God can't allow unholy, imperfect people in his presence. Because our impurity would compromise his purity. That's bad news. But there's also good news. Jesus accomplishes what we can't accomplish on our own. I just read Romans 3.20 a minute ago. But look at what Paul says in the very next verse. 
Paul said, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given. It's a gift through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Am I righteous? No. But God gives righteousness as a gift for those who have this life-changing relationship with Jesus. It's amazing, isn't it? God knew we would never be perfect on our own, but he loved us. He still loved us, even while we were sinners. And that's why Jesus came, and he went to the cross, and he paid the penalty that we deserve to pay. And when you come to Jesus in faith and you receive the gift of forgiveness and salvation, God looks at you and he calls you righteous. It means you're good. It means you pass the test. Only Jesus can accomplish this. Christ alone, the cornerstone. Weak are made strong in the Savior's love. That's what we mean when we talk about God's grace. His grace is a gift that we don't deserve. God's forgiveness is not based on our performance. It's based on what Jesus has already done. But then if that's true, if I know that I'm forgiven not based on what I do or don't do, what does that mean about, uh, for the Ten Commandments? If my forgiveness is not based on what I do or don't do, can I just blow off the Ten Commandments and know that I'm forgiven because of Jesus? Not so fast. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. You're not off the hook. If you love Jesus, keep his commands. But that's tough, isn't it? What if I do love Jesus and I do want to keep his commands, but I struggle? If that's you, number one, you're not alone. And number two, God doesn't leave you hanging. We've got to read the very next thing Jesus says here. Jesus does say, if you love me, keep my commands. And then he goes on to say, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to what? To help you. And be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit. When you begin a a relationship with Jesus, God puts his Holy Spirit inside of you. And the Spirit will give you the strength and the power to obey God's commands. The more we surrender to him, the more we learn to be obedient. And that's a big deal because obedience is God's love language. And when we obey the Ten Commandments, we express our love for God and our love for others. And that's what life is all about, isn't it? Love God and love people. If we get those things right, everything else falls into place. So yes, the Ten Commandments are very important. They're still relevant today. And I pray that we will walk out of here with a new commitment to live in a way that expresses our love for God and our love for others. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. We would be so lost if you hadn't revealed yourself to us.
if you hadn't shown us what this life is all about, what's, what's true and what's false, what your standards are of right and wrong. And I thank you so much for revealing your grace to us through Jesus, your love. And I pray, God, that we will not be confused, will not misunderstand, but we'll, we'll, we'll realize the purpose of the law and we'll realize the opportunity we have to find forgiveness through Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that we will just show our gratitude and love by obeying you as you give us the strength to do that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.